All right. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hands and one of our ushers will bring you a Bible, please. Don't be shy. We need one right over here. Just keep your hand up for a second. They'll bring it over. We think they see you, but you never know. (laughs) Anybody else need a Bible? All right. Well, please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. This is your first time here. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. We're glad to have you this morning. We uh, will be studying line by line, verse by verse, every precept upon precept, every jot and tittle, all the way through Romans chapter 8, and quite honestly, through the whole Bible, <laughs> as the Lord leads, um, until he should, as he should tarry, if he should tarry any longer. Well, the Lord's been, been just taking us through a beautiful journey through Paul here, as we've seen um, one of my favorite chapters, you know, I say that every chapter, I get it, but... <laughs> Uh, no, but I mean, I lo- guys, were you wrecked by chapter six, right? Chapter six was a chapter on sanctification, and that just, man, that just frees us. We're, we're not condemned by sin any longer. Um, not to say we don't sin, we certainly understand that, but we understand we have a new, we're born again, you know, in the spirit. We have a new nature, an endemic nature is dead. Praise Jesus. We don't have to carry that around any longer. I'm going to move this so... Our friends over here can see me. I feel like I'm blocking y'all. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Sorry about that, everybody else. Um, you're like, yeah, we're all blessed by that. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and, then, and then we come to chapter 7, and, and Paul really kind of, you know, I mean, chapters really 1 through 8 kind of all come together. Chapter 9 through 11 is going to branch off into a little bit different, and then obviously the remainder 12 through 15 is going to be the practical application in our lives. But, but when we look at chapter 7, right, we started seeing, you know, on Paul's heart is, is still Israel. It's still the Jew. It's still the Gentile. It's still us wondering, hey, are we trying to pull ourselves back and put ourselves back under a law? Are we trying to put ourselves back under works because we're used to ritual or we're used to tradition or something like that and it feels comfortable for us? I mean, I know, I know nobody here is going to readily go, yeah, I love religion. Like, I get that nobody's going to stand up and just volunteer that, but, but do we find ourselves gravitating more towards things we can do, we can see, rather than relationship? Are we more comfortable, you know, on our knees with Jesus than lighting a candle or worshiping a statue or anything. You know, that's something we all have to really think about because many of us have backgrounds, right? We, we come from maybe a denomination or we came from something where we grew up and, and there was something very familiar about it. Well, I'd suggest to you this morning, the thing that should be familiar to all of you is the word of God, that's where we find our hope and our trust. This is where we find our comfort. It's not in anything man could ever do. It's not any works. It's always been Jesus and Jesus alone. And how precious that is. Because that's, he doesn't want any distractions. He wants all of your heart. He wants all of you. He just wants all of you. He loves you so much. So here we are. We're now coming up to chapter 8, and man, alive, this chapter, as we go through and we start looking, you can't help but string pearls through this chapter. So if uh, you have a notebook, pull it out. If you have pens, pull it out, because we're going to be going through a lot of passages. It's a very encouraging chapter, because he had just left off in really verse 25 saying, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. He, he sets this up to says, you know what, I'm not... I'm not having a a senior moment. I'm not struggling. It's when I sin, I realize it's not me that wants to sin. And it's also not me that can solve the problem, right? Remember, he figured that out in verse 25 where he says, I thank God. Why? Because back in verse 18, he said, how do I overcome sin? He says, I know I have the spirit of God in me. I'm born again. And I want to do those good things. I want to live that good life. He goes, but I also know I have the flesh and it's a constant battle waging war inside of me. Maybe some of you know about that war. Well, I, 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 if you've been saved more in a day, you know about that war, that battle. I like to say to Christians as they get saved, I say, welcome to the new battle. You know, well, welcome to the new battle in Christ. You know, the enemy doesn't go, well, he's saved now. Let's, you know, let's just take a break. No, it, it gets heavy, right? It gets heavy. 
Well, we're going to build, Paul's going to build on this and he's going to, man, he's going to piece us out this morning because he's just going to lay this down and he's going to say, hey, there is no condemnation. Paul couldn't have said that if he didn't make a clear division between the idea that the spirit can be very much alive, Galatians 5.16, and that the flesh can still be waging the war. And just because we sin doesn't mean we've blown it. It means we had a moment. We need to repent. We need to get in right relationship. But we didn't somehow, you know, um, lose our walk forever. Paul says even himself, I mean, Paul's like a, a stud in the faith, right? He's like a stud in the faith. Here he is. And, and, and some of you are like, what? Did he just call Paul a stud in the faith? Yes. He's like a hero in the faith for some of you, some others. Maybe you prefer that better. He's the man. And yet Paul himself is talking about some of these things as he was in prison, as he's been struggling, as he was shipwrecked for a day and a half, as he was beaten. We're going to read about all the things that he's going to say that he has gone through here. All but one, the sword. At this point, obviously, he hasn't been martyred yet. But everything else he's going to talk about, he's lived it. This isn't a man that's just speaking uh, empirically. This is a man who's lived it. And he still comes to us and says, hey, sin is dead. You're not defeated because of your sin. You have victory in Christ. Amen? Let's pray and begin this morning. Father, we thank you. As you've overheard, Lord, we want that victory that you have promised through your son, Jesus Christ. Every one of us here this morning, Lord, we want to enter into that rest and glory and peace, God, that belongs to you and to you alone. Lord, if we've been towing around or, Lord, pack, you know, like a big, you know, backpack carrying around all of this stuff for all these years, Lord. Lord, this morning, we want to lay it down at your feet and never pick it up again. God, will you... Use your word here, Lord, to set our hearts free, to set our minds free. Lord, will your word speak to us? May we have eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to receive. May we hear what your spirit has to say here this morning, God. Lord, we want to get out of the way. Lord, we want nothing, none of this should be touched or tainted with human fingerprints. We want to hear from you, Jesus. Nothing else will do. We pray and ask this in your holy name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people prayed. Amen, amen. Well, verse one, as I've mentioned, he says, there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now, again, if you had just come to this passage this morning, and this is the first time you were reading this passage, you may say, hey, man, I can do whatever I want. I can live however I want. And, you know, there's no condemnation. That's certainly not what Paul is saying, is it? Paul had already made that, as we've been going line by line and verse by verse, Paul had already made that very clear in chapter 6 that not, is there, not only is there not an allowance of occasional sin, verse 1 of chapter 6, but then also chapter um, 6, verse 15, he said what? There's also no what habitual and occasional sin. I reversed it. Habitual sin was verse 1, excuse me. Occasional sin, verse 15. He's saying, no, we should never be content in our sin. It's not something we should sit back and go, you know what? Grace abounds more when sin abounds, so let's go sin more so we can get more grace. No, Paul, he, Paul never argued that. That's not his point. As a matter of fact, he ordered the contrary. So when he says there, there is no for condemnation, what he's talking about is we've gotten to this point where we can realize that when we desire and we want to walk in the Spirit of God, that when we, we blow it or we have those setbacks, he's saying, hey, man, don't condemn yourself. Don't sit back and keep dwelling on that sin and saying, man, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm no good. I can't do anything. And next thing you know, you're a victim instead of a victor. You're not living out the victory in Christ. And so what happens? You become defeated. You don't even want to step out of your house. You don't want to get out of bed because you're just, you're depressed. You're overwhelmed. Jesus says, no, there's no time for that. There's work to be done for the kingdom. We're to occupy till he comes. He says, no, absolutely not. He says, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what it's about. Are you in Christ Jesus this morning? What? Made free from the law, we're going to read. Right? He says, who do not walk according to the flesh. What is this flesh? Well, I'm glad you asked. Turn to Galatians. Turn in your Bibles to Galatians. We're going to look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. You know, Paul's going to lay this out. The Lord, obviously, is giving him direct revelation 
This is going to be heavy for some of you this morning, right? Some of you that maybe are struggling with certain sins, myself, anybody included, we're going to look at this. And he's going to say, this is what it looks like when you walk according to the flesh. If you identify with any of these this morning, my prayer for all of you is repent and get right with the Lord. Lay it down and don't pick it back up. Begin to walk in the Spirit. Because if you walk in the Spirit, you can overcome the flesh. You can overcome that. We have victory here. We're not defenseless. We have the sword of the Spirit. So if you look here in chapter 5, verse 16, he says, I say then, Paul, writing to the church of Galatia, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's a promise. That's a guarantee. If Jesus says it, it is what it is. He's not grammatically challenged. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit. He explains the relationship there, that it's a battle. And the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. Some of you went, that explains it, man. Because I know I'm a born-again believer in Christ. Why am I still struggling sometimes? Boom. Laid it down. He laid it down hot. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Verse 18, right? Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are, and he starts going through them, and he names them. He, he explains what the difference is. He says it's contrary from the flesh, the spirit. He says, what are some of the, the works of the flesh? What's this look like? Again, if you're following along, chapter 5, as we get right here and go in verse 19. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery. So think of sexual immorality. He's going to tie that fornication. That includes also all types of sexual immorality, homosexuality, and what have you. Uncleanness, right? What's he talking to? He's not saying, hey, if you didn't take a shower this morning, right? That's not, you know, I prayed all you did, but that's not what he's talking about. What's he talking about? He said, you know, he's talking about anything that's perverted or impure. That's what he's describing here. Lewdness. What is lewd? Something that's lustful. Something that's lustful idolatry, anything that we worship more than the living God. Sorcery, certainly when we think of horoscopes and we think of the occult. Uh, Christians, we have no business going near any of that. You have no business picking up the Sunday paper and reading the horoscopes. You have no business, you know, uh, going to a, a medium or any of that nonsense. All you're doing is opening an opportunity for demonic activity. We, we, we have Christians have no business with that. That's of the flesh. Hatred. Man, you mean when I think something, when I feel something, when I'm angry towards somebody? That's heavy. Contention. See, now he's getting to the personal attributes that we feel in our heart, and he's getting to the motives of those. It's not just the outward actions. He starts with that. Well, man, I've never committed adultery. I've never done these things. But then he starts nailing in a little, you know, the bullseye gets a little, he kind of narrows in on that. And he says, hey, have you ever had an evil thought? Have you ever thought wickedly about somebody? Have you ever hated somebody, man? He says, that wasn't the spirit of God doing that. What was doing that? Your flesh. That's what he's saying here. He says, that was your flesh, man. Contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath. We call them adult tamper tantrums, or however you say it, temper tantrums, right? Not that you all know what I'm talking about there. Selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, rivalries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in the time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's heavy. He's saying someone that's so content in their sin, the question is, is do they really believe in Jesus Christ? If they're more content in their sin than content in walking in the Spirit, chances are, and most likely, they're not a born-again believer in Christ. After all, didn't Jesus say, many will say, Lord, Lord? He says, but I've done your works. There it goes again. He says, you cast out demons in my name. You know, I cast out demon in your name. I did all these other things. I healed the sick. I did these things. But you say to me, Lord, Lord, I did not know you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. What was he saying? He's saying there are those that are going to be doing the outward acts of religion. 
But who are they doing it for? Are they doing it for God? Are they doing it for Jesus? Or are they doing it for themselves? You see, it's all the motive of the heart. Some of you are like, man, even that's tripping me up. Yeah, it's meant to be heavy. That's why it's not popular, friends. That's why you don't walk into the church on every corner and they're talking about this. They tend to skip over this chapter. It's not a popular chapter in many churches. But we need it. I need it. Don't you need it? I need to hear what Jesus has to say to my heart. I need to understand where I'm at. I need, I need to be recalibrated. I need to get it right because I, I'm trying to. But often I can get caught off in the world. I can get caught up in different things. I need that. But then he's going to tell us, no, no, no. He says, I want you to know what it looks like to walk in the Spirit. I want you to know what that joy is going to look like. Because he says, hey, as born-again believers, you can focus on the flesh and you can dwell and be content in your sin. And I assure you won't inherit the eternal you know, kingdom that way. You won't inherit the kingdom of God. He says, but if you walk in the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. You see, without love, you can't have any of the others. Without love, you begin to think everybody who's wronged you, you know, you want to kind of repay that, don't you? You kind of want to get back at them. But when we put love first, really, agape love, not phileo. I'm not talking about the phileo love in the Greek. I'm not talking about a love of emotion or familiarity between two. I'm talking unconditional agape love. That's the idea here. Look, don't, don't get angry at me. If some of you are like, boy, I want to, you know, don't get angry with me, man. This is the word. I'm, I'm, I'm convicted by this, but I'm also exhorted. I'm encouraged because I know, Lord, this is what it looks like. Don't we want to know? Aren't you glad we have an aim? It's not nebulous. It's not kind of out there and we don't know where we're, no. We have a bullseye, man, and an aim and a target, and it's Christ. I'm so thankful for that. I mean, think all the other religions, Hinduism and Taoism and all the other ones, Buddhism and all this, you know, enlightenment and sit there and yeah, yeah. I mean, all this nonsense. And is any of that drawing you closer to Christ? No, of course not. It all is about internal, you know, getting, you know, you making yourself feel better. You can be the best dressed and feel the best and be walking right to the pit of hell. That's not what Christ wanted. He said, narrow is the way. Wide is the gate, which is an entrance. A gate's an entrance, isn't it? That leads to destruction. He didn't tell us this to lay a trip on us. God, our Father is so good. He wants to set us free. He doesn't want us misguided and going on the wrong path. He doesn't want our young people being misguided. He wants them to hear truth. He says, don't prevent these little ones from coming unto me. He wanted all of us. Aren't we all his children if you're a born-again believer in Christ? Well, look, he says, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, the opposite of a temper tantrum, (laughs) the adult temper tantrum. Against such there is no what? No law. Keep your finger there. Turn back to Romans. We'll, we'll, We'll go back to Galatians in a little bit. That's verse one. That's verse one of Romans. When he talks about the flesh and the spirit and the idea here, that's just, just verse one, what Paul was trying to convey to you and I. You ready for verse two? Here we go. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. That's a powerful statement. He's saying that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made you and I free from the law of sin and death. We're no longer condemned by that. Remember Romans chapter 6? Look at verse 10. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives what? To God. And then also look at um, verse 14. For sin shall have no Kareo, we talked about that in the Greek, dominion over you, that you are, what, hupa, under, not under the law, but under grace. You're under a system of grace. That's why the law has no bearing on us. It can do nothing for us. The law can't justify. The law can't sanctify. No religion can, friends. No works can. 
They can't justify, they can't sanctify. Only grace, which is a free gift through faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's what he's saying here. That when you have that spirit of life in Christ Jesus, you are free from sin and death. Turn to Galatians. As I mentioned, we were just there. Turn to Galatians. Let's look at chapter 3. See, the law was never intended to set you free, actually. Paul tells us the law was really a curse. He says, for as many as who are of the works of the law, again, chapter 3, verse 10, are under the curse. For as written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. Chapter 1, verse 16 and 17 of Romans. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Just think about that for a minute. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, he took on our curse. Our curse. So that we could be set free. What is he talking about? Because the wages of sin was what? Death. It had to be paid. That the blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles, you and I, if you're not Jewish in origin, in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. He keeps going back to that, doesn't he? He keeps going back to the Spirit. He keeps going back to the fact that it's through faith. Let's look at verse 3. For what? Back in Romans. For what the law could not do, it was weak through the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Well, just think about that for a minute. Whose likeness were we in before we were born again? Adam, right? Adamic nature. Genesis chapter 5. We're not in the likeness of God. It wasn't until we were born again in the spirit that we became the likeness of God. Look, at, look back at Genesis chapter 5. Now, originally in the garden, who were we in the likeness of? God, right? Male and female, Genesis 126 and 127, he created them, right? But, but if you look, what is he saying here? He's saying that God did by sending his own son in the likeness of what? Of a sinful flesh. What's that talking about? It's talking about his humanity, isn't it? In the fact that he came 100% human and 100% divine. But it's speaking to the, the humanity, even though he had no sin, but he became sin, that we could be what? We could become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, right? But this is the idea here. What, what's, you know, look at Galatians chapter 4. Look at verses 3 through 7. Even so, we who were children were in bondage under the elements of this world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. You see, Jesus was born under the law. He had to come, and that's why he said, I didn't come to do away with the law. What did he come to do? Fulfill the law. Right? To redeem those who were under the law. You and I, everyone else who were to be under that law, he came to redeem us that we might receive what? Adoption as sons. Do you see that? And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, Daddy. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. We're going to build more on that because we're co-heirs, he says, with Christ. But he's building, he's, he's showing us who we are in, in Christ like that. But think about the humanity of Christ. Turn to John, turn to the book of John, chapter 1. We read it right here, don't we? I, I, th I think many of us have read the Gospel of John, maybe the first chapter. I'm going to read verses 1 through 14 with you here this morning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. 
He's the author of everything. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the word, or excuse me, and the world did not know him. There it is. He came to his own, and his own did not, his own did not receive him. But as many as received to them, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. Do you see that? To those who believe in his name. What does that mean? That if you were not previously before that, you must have been a creation of God. Because he says here that, but as many as received him, it's once you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then what happens? Then you become a child of God. Do you see that? Do you see that in the, don't look at me, look at your Bible. Right? Those are his words. To those who believe in his name who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. He's saying, not your first birth from your mama. But what birth is he talking about? Your spiritual birth, John 3. Nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became, what's it say there? Flesh. We just read that in Romans, right? And he dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory and the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. It's not a balancing act for Jesus Christ. He doesn't try to balance truth with grace. He's the fullness of both. Don't try to balance things in your lives. That's not what God did. God was the fullness of truth. He never compromised a single word of Scripture but he also walked in fullness of grace. As he found the woman caught in adultery, what did he say to her? Woman, where are your accusers? She had been guilty. God didn't say what she did was right. No, he condemned the sin. But he looked at her and he said, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. There was love and empathy there. Many of us know people that are not born-again believers in Christ and they're walking according to the world's standards. God doesn't want us to be harsh or not empathetic to them. He doesn't want us to, to walk and just be indifferent to the fact that they're, they're walking their way to hell. God, God's never asked that for us. No, he wanted us to be caring and loving, but not willing to compromise truth. He doesn't want us to come back and say, well, you know what? I'm sure God wants you to be homosexual. And I understand you're struggling with your gender because you apparently can't look 18 inches to two feet down and figure that out. You know, maybe there's a biological quandrum going on at that moment. No, he knows it's cerebral. He knows it's a heart issue. He knows it's mental. They're figuring things out, right? But he didn't say ignore them or be harsh to them. He said, love them. Why, do, why are we called to love them? Because we're love them right to the kingdom, that they would see the love of Christ and they would see the truth and then they would want to be set free. It wasn't through Bible thumping people. But again, we're to give truth. We're not to compromise that. We're not to say, well, yeah, it's okay that you're living this lifestyle and God doesn't really care. That's lying. And you're doing that and in order to make them feel good. But... What's that really doing? That's compromising. You're loving them right to hell rather than perfectly loving them, unconditionally loving them and telling them, hey, have you ever read your Bible? I know you're, you believe you're a, a Christian and, and, and I certainly can't judge you on that, but Jesus says that we who love him are those that keep his commandments and statutes. Would you like to know a little bit about what those commandments and statutes are? I'd like to live them out in my life. Would you like to live them out in yours? And how about we do it together? That means you're investing in someone's life. Then you have the right to pour into them. Once you invest in them. Well, back to Romans. 
So he talks about this sinful flesh. And on account of sin, he condemns sin in the flesh, right? That the righteous requirements of law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. That's the, that's the ingredient there. That's why when we're born again, we receive a new nature. We're walking in that new spirit. And it's through Jesus Christ that we are seen, forgiven, justified, just, if we, just as though we never, ever sinned. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that wonderful? That's your identity in Christ. That's why Paul can begin with 8.1 saying there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That's why he can say that. That's why he can, you can all look in the mirror and say there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus because God sees you with the righteousness of Christ, that imputed righteousness to you. Isn't that wonderful? Doesn't that just sort of, I don't know about you, but I kind of, I can just exhale. I can be. I can just be me. I can try to walk more towards Christ and I want to grow in his likeness and sanctification, but I'm not laying a trip on myself. I'm just trusting God to do it. Verse five, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. You know, I think that's almost common sense to us. You know what he's saying there. We read the differences in Galatians. Those that are thinking about the flesh are thinking about all those things, hatred, motives, and adultery, and all things that are not good. He says, but those that are walking in the spirit think of love, joy, peace, long-suffering. We went through the list, do you remember? He says, it's, it's a choice. Isn't that what it's pointing to? It's a choice. What are you going to walk out today? Who do you want to be in Christ? It's a choice. Those. He then tells us in verse 6, for to be carnally minded is death. What, what is this idea of carnally minded? Well, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Next book over there. Look at verses 1 through 4 with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, look at verses 1 through 4. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as... And again, talking to the church at Corinth, he'd spent a year and a half there, you know, terribly sexually immoral, a lot going on in the church, bad, not, not a good example here. But he was writing to them to exhort them, to encourage the rebuke, to correct. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, he says, And I, brethren, speaking to the church, could not speak to you as spirit, to spiritual people, but what? As carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able. What is he saying? He's saying, you're not walking in the Spirit. You're still going back, and I can't explain these things to you that I want to speak to you that have to do with the meat and substance, the victory you have in Christ. He says, but I have to keep going back to the foundation and the basics because you're not taking hold of the basics. You're not understanding who you are in Christ. You're not, you're not going back to the foundation. For you are still carnal. Now again, he's speaking to the church, isn't he? Brethren. Sisterin. I'm just using that word. I don't know if it's a word. Right? He's speaking to the church. Brothers and sisters. He wasn't speaking to unbelievers. He's saying, hey, you could still be carnal. You can be a born-again believer in Christ, but you could still be trying to walk out that flesh instead of that spirit. And you could still be, you know, comfortable comfortable, excuse me, and content in your carnality, in your carnal, you know, aspect. For where there are envy, strife, divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? You're not behaving like you're born again. There's no transformation in you. There's no fruit to speak of. For when one says, I am Paul and I'm another, I'm Apollos, are you not carnal? You're, you're getting caught up in division? Over who baptized you or who's the one that led you to Christ? He's like, where does that come from? That doesn't come from God whenever you see division. Diversity is an interesting term. People use the word diversity thinking that it's inclusive. Diversity in the root of diversity is division. It's not an inclusive word. I, I, you know, we need to get our HR manuals out and rewrite over that. That's not inclusive. Unity is inclusive. Christ is inclusive. 
not divisive, not division, diversity. I mean, follow it out to its end length. I'm, I'm not saying we're not to be, you know, I'm not saying we're not to, to acknowledge that there are differences among all of us. But we can focus on the difference instead of focusing on what draws us together, which is Jesus Christ. He's the reason that we're all here this morning. Some of you probably would not hang out with each other. I'll just be so poignant about it if it wasn't for Jesus Christ. But he's your unity, and because of that, you can't imagine being with another buddy or another sister in Christ like that because that's your commonalities in Christ, and it overcomes anything that's diverse. You think they should put that in nature, Emmanuel? Unity in Christ. I bet productivity would go up. All things, right? Do all things unto Christ. Because, you know, we're seeing with all this stuff going on, and, you know, I think 20 years ago, where we came from, you know, some of us, you know, you're older than 40, you remember some of these things. How this technology and how all this stuff was going to make us more improved, harder workers and all this stuff. Not so much. Look at what's going on in the world today. It seems like a lot of bait and switch and a lot of lies. People are more distanced now than any other time in all of civilization and humanity. Friends sit next to each other, look down on their phones, and never even look up. They never even grab each other's hand and just say, I know. Let's pray. Let's talk. You know? We've lost that. We've lost that personal dependence on one another. Verse 7, because the carnal mind is at enmity, or okay, hatred, hostility, that's that word there. We see hatred and hostile, right? That's what it is. Because the carnal mind is against God. It's hostile. It hates God. Now, how is it possible you can be a born-again believer and your flesh actually hates God? Because the flesh is representative of the conscience. You could, what? As Paul said, the things I do not want to do, that I do. And the things, what? He goes and says the opposite of that, right? I, I don't want to do these things. But does that mean you're not a born-again believer in Christ? It means no. It means you're not submitted and surrendered to the Spirit of God, and therefore you're carnal-minded walking out the flesh is what it's, I mean, I think it's pretty, simple to understand that because if we just think about our own week that we just had, how many people went for that second piece of cheesecake again? Right? I don't know why we keep buying it. I don't know why it's in the house. I don't know why I can't just eat one piece. I'm projecting. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, Lo, right? Like, it's gluttonous. But why do we keep doing these things? Because the carnal mind is against God. It's hating, it's hostile. If we don't recognize that's what's waging war in us, we're not going to fight the good battle. We're going to think there's something wrong with us. There's nothing wrong with you. Welcome to the battle of being a Christian. Welcome to the battle of your lust. How we win that battle and work it out is not of ourselves, but as we read in chapter 7, it was when Paul finally got to verse 25 and he said, I thank God. Because before that, on chapter 24, he said, oh, wretched man. But then he got to 25. Praise the Lord. We get to verse 25. Oh, thank God. It's God that does the delivering. He says, it's against God, for it is not subject. There it is. It's, it's everything. Not surrendered. You're not surrendered to God. You're, not, you're, you're, you're trying to live it out in compromise. That's why I said Jesus was the truth and the fullness of truth and the fullness of grace and compassion and love. It can't be a balancing act. It's got to be the fullness of both. And if we could just understand that dichotomy, in our minds, that we willfully allow this because we are no longer, the Bible tells us we're no longer conquered by sin anymore. So when we sin, we willfully sin. 
my wife did not come up to me and take my hand and go to that cheesecake and I willfully did that. Who am I kidding? <laughs> right? I willfully did that. And more is caught than taught. My kids were right behind me. <laughs> right? Of course I teach the Bible in my house. But then flesh and cheesecake. <laughs> I don't know. You insert your trip. You insert whatever your trip is. God doesn't want us to walk it out that way. We need to be subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. He's saying you can't when you're walking in that hatred or hostility to God in the flesh. You can't be subject to the spirit because you're, you can't be in two places at once. You know, your, your mind's engaging in the things of the flesh. But you can't hit the reset button. You can't say, Lord, forgive me, repent. And now, God, give me victory over this. I don't want to do this anymore, Lord. Get behind me, cheesecake, right? And you throw it out. I think it's extreme, but maybe you have a piece instead of two, all right? Let's, let's do all things in decency and order. Maybe I'm isogeating a little bit here. I don't know. But um, verse 8, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Hebrews chapter eleven six says that same thing, right? That without faith, we cannot please God. Just think about that. But you are not in the flesh. Thank you, Paul. But in the spirit. I want to insert your name here this morning. But you are not in the flesh, but you're in the spirit. Do you have moments where you have that fleshly experience? Yes, but that is not who you are. You have a new nature and you have choice and you have victory. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for setting us free. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not, what? He is not his. John 3, go back and read that in your notes. John chapter 3. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Isn't that what's going to happen? 2 Corinthians 5, 8, absent with the body, present with the Lord. Your spirit goes up there, right? And then later on united like that. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, who, who um, raised Christ from the dead, will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Look again at John chapter 11, verse 25. Uh, just looking at our time, I'm not sure we're going to get through, obviously, the whole chapter here. Um, we're not going to rush it. Look at John chapter 11, verse 25. Am I thinking chapter 11? Yeah, I'm in Acts. I like that book too. John chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection of life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He was speaking to Martha. If you remember Lazarus had died. And he says, Jesus, if you would have been here, Mary was inside. He says, if you would have been here, Certainly, he wouldn't have died. My brother wouldn't have died. And, and Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Only God could proclaim that. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He's not talking about physical death. What's he talking about? Spiritual death. If you've been born twice, you're only going to die once. But if you've only been born once, you'll, you'll face two deaths. Your physical death and then the death in the lake of fire, the spiritual death that goes on forever and ever and ever. That's heavy. Look at Acts chapter 2. Look at verse 29. Methern brethren... Let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David that he both spoke of the dead and buried and the tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with him an oath to him 
that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. Psalm 110.1 also references that. Look at verse 32. Then Jesus God has raised up, of which we all are witnesses. So we've seen the Father, we've seen the Son, and we've seen the Spirit saying that he also can raise up. So who's the one that does the resurrecting of the dead? Is it the Father, is it the Son, or is it the Holy Spirit? Yes. Amen? Yes. We see all accounts of that. I do believe that when we die, our physical death, that Jesus' hand is outstretched to us. And the reason I can say that scripturally, I believe that, is because it says that he went to prepare a place for us. That where he would be, we too would be one day. That's if we don't take the rapture plan first. And I believe that his arm is outstretched because there's times where he's seated and times where he's standing at the right hand of the Father. Read it in your scripture. And I believe it's when he's standing as when his hand is outstretched to one of us as he welcomes us to paradise, as he welcomes us home and embraces us and every tear is wiped away There is no sadness. There is no more pain. But we receive our glorified bodies. We are with Christ and we attend the last supper with him. Right? And then we come back with him on horses, man. Revelation chapter 19. Good stuff. It's what it's all about, isn't it? If he didn't have the ability to resurrect himself, would we be here this morning? Because there'd be no power in his ability in the gospel. Because he proclaimed it three times, and he did it. And without that, you and I wouldn't be here on a Sunday morning. Maybe some of you might be at a synagogue. Maybe some of you might be at a sporting event. But he did. He did rise again. He was and is ascended at the right hand of the Father. And he's making intercession for you and I right now. for healing, for right relationship with our Father, for strength to overcome the trials, the difficulties in our lives, for a heart that's new, that would see others as Jesus sees them, as he himself saw everyone, to love others as ourselves. And a heart to be able to love God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And nothing else coming close to that. That's what he's doing for you and I. Just as when he was physically here 2,000 years ago and he would go off to the mountain and he would begin to pray even while his disciples were being entered into a trial. Even though Peter was going to be sifted like wheat, Jesus was giving us a pattern. When we face the most difficult trials of our life, at that moment, we don't run We pray because he's already praying. He says that if we would just pray, he says he already knows what we need, right? If we ask, seek, and knock, he speaks to a persistence of prayer. We're going to stop here this morning. And it's a good place to stop because we get to focus on the fact that we live again. You know, Job asked that question. If you, if you really quick, just look in your Bible. Job chapter 14. Look at verse 14. If a man dies, shall he live again? Job wanted to know the answer to that. Friends, we can answer Job's question, can't we? Because of Jesus Christ. Every one of you here that's a born-again believer, if you walked out of this building and there was a catastrophic accident, and you went to be with your Lord and Savior, you know that you know that you know that you will be resurrected. Amen? There's nothing else he could have given us. There's nothing else that we could have wanted that is the greatest gift ever. Look at your children. 
Look at your friends. Look at your wife and your husband. If they're born again believers, you will see them in paradise. Nothing can ever eternally separate you. Isn't that everything? Amen. Let's stand and pray and we'll close with a song. It's fitting again where the Lord paused us here this morning. His resurrection. Just remembering all that he has for us and how much he loves us. You know, as we sing this last song, my, my heart is that we will praise God like we've never praised him before. That we will give our hearts to Jesus completely. That we will no longer be surrendered to the flesh, but we'll be surrendered to the spirit. Amen? Let's pray and ask for that help right now. Father, we, Lord, we hear you loud and clear. We thank you, God. Lord, you're so good. You know, we can get so caught up in the hysteria of the world today and, Lord, all the evil and the wickedness and, Lord, even our own, our own situations, Lord, a job maybe. Lord, maybe it's our health that's failing. Lord, it can be a lot of things. But Lord, you want us to know, and that's why you said in Matthew 6, don't worry. Lord, there's no other way we wouldn't worry is it, if it wasn't for the promise of this truth that we are not conquered by sin, that we're going to live again, that in walking in the Spirit we please you, and it's through your Spirit, Lord, that we'll be resurrected into new life, and these mortal bodies, Lord, this, this corruption is going to put on incorruption, Jesus. Just as you said, how we long for that day. Maranatha, Jesus, come, Lord Jesus, come. Just as John prayed. We too join you in this this morning, Lord. God, I pray one last revival. One more opportunity to reach the lost and the dying of this world. Lord, I don't want family members and friends going, Lord, to eternal punishment, eternal separation from you. No, God, I, I pray every one of them will cry out to you. Even right now, Lord, you'll prick their heart and they'll cry out to you, Jesus, and they'll say, Abba, Father, just as we read here, Lord, Daddy, help and that you'll give them your spirit, God, and they'll walk in your likeness. And no longer will the flesh reign. No, God, we are co-heirs with you, Jesus Christ, and will be for all of eternity. Thank you for making us your children. Thank you that we are adopted children and grafted in here, Lord. We're yours and you're ours, and nothing could ever separate us. Thank you for that promise, God. We praise you for that. We thank you, and we pray all this in your holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen.